0: The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at com. And now, here's Pastor Steve Ecclesiastes 8, just a simple uh, sermon today from the text. I think what we'll do is, uh, we'll read these 17 verses, but we'll just read them in some sections. And in each section, I want to point out to you, uh, what I believe maybe the dominant theme of that section is. Uh, If you're looking for kind of the theme for the whole chapter, it's really having wisdom in, uh, in our life in various situations. And, uh, we need the wisdom of God. In fact, you know, when we think about it, um, this chapter really deals with about, uh, three issues. You know, one of them is, having um, having tact and having good timing in situations that uh, deal with relationships, and I think everybody in this room would probably say alongside of me that there's been times in your life where your timing was not appropriate and where you were not as tactful as you probably should, been, uh, should have been in the relationship, in the communication with others. Uh, in fact, uh, my wife has helped me out greatly in our relationship. I think I lacked a whole lot of tact. Uh, when I first started in ministry, and she has helped me a great deal with that. and uh, But all of us have those, uh, those kind of moments. In fact, maybe you're sitting in here, and I know every man in here has uh, had wrong timing before when your wife says to you what a problem is that she's dealing with, uh, some sort of emotional relational issue, and your first thought is, let me solve it for you. Right, guys? Let me fix that for you. And then you get the head drop and the hair in front of the face and you're like, what's wrong? I've got your life fixed and I don't want you to fix it. That's not the problem. Well, that's what we do. We solve problems. So everybody has problems with tact and timing. And uh, this passage deals with some of that. I think uh, everybody in uh, some point or other in their life as a believer uh, deals with the problem of fearing man or fearing other human beings more than we fear God. Yeah, wouldn't you say woe is me on that as well? That there are times in our lives where we tend to fear human beings and what they think of us and what they might say and what their thought life would be about us more than we would fear God. And so there might be a situation where you're dealing or talking with a lost person and you know that the Spirit of God inside is prompting you to share your testimony and share the gospel, the good news of Jesus, but you don't know what they're going to say about you. You don't know what they're going to think about you. And so you kind of shut that down and you don't share because you fear what that human response will be over what the response of God would be. We've all been there. Furthermore, we sometimes fear ourselves and by that word fear in the Old Testament we mean reverence or honor. And so... There's times where we honor and reverence our own personal desires above that of God Himself. And so that's where we would find ourselves at times doing things that would please us and make us feel comfortable rather than doing the things that would please God. And I'm sure every human being in here, including me, would say, Yeah, there's been some times in my life, maybe even this week, where I know that I should have done something that would have pleased the Lord, but I wanted to please myself. I wanted those creature comforts. I wanted to just kind of relax and do it my way, so to speak, instead of doing it His way. Well, I think the Bible speaks about that. I think there's also a temptation in us sometimes to be cynical. When we look at the world around us and you turn on the news station, no matter what station it is that you turn on, it seems like things are bad and the dirty laundry is out there and that the world, so to speak, forgive the phrase, is kind of going to hell in a handbasket. And there can be a cynical kind of uh, uh, sarcastic tone in our lives. And so the way that we come across to other people, the way that we come across to our friends, the way that we come across and the way that we live and the things that we Say and what we post on our social media and other outlets that we tend to be very cynical, and I think that's a great temptation for us in our lives. Well, this chapter deals with all three of those issues and helps us to have wisdom in the midst of those. So let's read the first nine verses. You read along silently, and I'll read them out loud for us. So, who is like the wise man, and who knows the interpretation of a matter? A man's wisdom illumines him and causes his stern face to beam, all right? So pretty much wisdom will make you happy. And if you're a sourpuss, you know, if it looks like you've been eating, uh, you know, uh, sour food and you've just got that way of life, if you have the wisdom of God, it'll turn your face to a smile and to a beam. And then look at the scenario that's given to you in verse 2 down through verse number 9. I say... Keep the command of the king because of the oath before God. Maybe the oath that you've given God to be obedient and to follow these matters, right? Do not be in a hurry to leave him. Do not join in an evil matter for he will do whatever he pleases since the word of the king is authoritative. Who will say to him, what are you doing? Now I want you to mark verse 5 and 6 and we'll come back to those. But here's really the crux of the matter. He who keeps a royal command experiences no trouble. Watch now, for a wise heart knows the proper time and proper procedure. For there is a proper time and a proper procedure for every delight, though a man's trouble, uh, though a man is troubled in his heart, or though he has trouble heavy upon him. Verse seven. If no one knows what will happen, who can tell him when it will happen? That makes sense. No man has authority to restrain the wind with the wind or authority over the day of death. And there is no discharge in the time of war and evil will not deliver those who practice it. All of these things or all of this I have seen and applied my mind to every deed that has been done under the sun wherein a man has exercised authority over another man to his hurt. So here's the first point. Very easy for you today if you're following along or keeping notes. The first point is this. Wise people are timely and tactful even when it's tough. I tried to alliterate that for you a little bit. Wise people are timely and tactful even when it's tough. Look back, if you would, at verse number 5. He who keeps a royal command experiences no trouble for a wise heart knows the proper time and the proper procedure. That is, that wise people have good timing. Wise people know when to keep their mouths shut. Wise people know when to speak. Wise people know how to say it and with what tone and how to speak to somebody. And don't you find in your own life that that is a struggle with all of us in our relationships of knowing when to say something and when not to say something and knowing not only what to say, but how to say, you know, I I find myself understanding and seeing sometimes in the world that you can give somebody all the money in the world and it will not fix their relationships. The most rich people in the world still struggle with relationships. Why? Because they don't have proper timing and proper procedure. They don't know how to be timely in the way they speak. And they don't know how to be tactful in the way they speak, even when they are hurt. And I just want to pause for a moment and say, and and put that in your lap and ask yourself, how's your timing in your relationships? How's your how's your timing when you speak to people? Are you quick to embarrass and correct somebody in front of others? Do you try and uh, correct and and, uh, argue and fuss and fight and, 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 and try and win somebody over or win an argument when they are hurting and when they're weak and when they're wounded and when they're angry and when they're tired and when they feel defeated? Or do you have a sense of godly wisdom and timing where you know even though you may be hurt and even though your heart may be weak itself, rather than lashing out, you say in your mind, no, there's a better time and a better place and a better... Way to deal with this. How's your timing? Do you operate off of your own timing that says, I want it my way and I want it right away and I want to make sure that my point is heard and that my argument gets across and I don't care when or how this comes out, I'm going to win the day in this argument now? Or do you have restraint in your heart that says, even though I'm hurt, I believe that God will give grace and comfort and right now is not the time to bring this out? How's your timing? Now, brothers and sisters, I think it's quiet in here because we all know that that's a very pragmatic issue. And I'm going to get to the theology of the matter in a moment, but I don't want to be Dr. Phil on you. I know this isn't the Oprah show, but I just want to say that this is something that all of us deal with is having the proper and the right timing in our relationships. Whether that be with a friend, whether that be with a co-worker, whether that be with a child, whether that be with somebody here at the church, another member of the church, knowing the right time. And not only having right timing, but having tact in the way that you speak. Not just embarrassing somebody. Not just throwing somebody up under the bus. Not just saying something to somebody that is hurtful, just so you can get out the words and make yourself feel a little better because you've pushed somebody else down. There is a proper time to say something and there is a proper way to say something. There is tact that we must show. There is a loving kindness in the way that we operate and deal with people. I'll just pause for a moment. I want to say this. I already know of a situation where people were saying things that were first of all not timely and second of all not filled with tact and kindness and love. And if you find yourself in that way this morning as your shepherd and as a kind leader, you need to repent of that right now in your heart. And if I were you, I wouldn't get to your doorknob at your house before you've made that right today. You need to go to that person and say, man, I I was having a junky attitude this morning. I said that and I shouldn't have said that. I'm frustrated. Maybe there's a little something to work out here. Maybe there's something that needs to be made right or something that that person could have done differently. But you know what? I should have come to you in private and I I should have talked to you and I I should have said, hey, here's my heart and here's how I feel. But I want to tell you something. I'm I'm sorry about that. I, I didn't handle that with timeliness and I didn't handle that with tact. And I want to say not only this morning, but I'll bet the overwhelming majority of all of us, and these fingers don't just go out, these fingers go this way as well too. I think the overwhelming majority of most of us in this room would probably say in the last seven days there have been a moment in our life where we didn't deal with something with godly wisdom in a timely way and in a tactful way even when it was tough. We need to make that right. I think, paraphrasing, Jesus says these kinds of words. If you're on your way to the house of God to worship, and you have something in your heart against another brother or sister, don't even go to church. Go make it right and then go to church. It's kind of the Steve version of the Bible there, okay? We all struggle in relationships. Friendships. What about when it comes to like the youth of our church and the children of our church? Wouldn't most of you say that, that timing and tact is incredibly important in the way that you speak to young people? I know that there are people sitting in this room right now. You've spoken to me and then you have said to me in one way or another, man, somebody said this to me when I was nine years old and I've never forgot about it. Be careful, be careful. And hey, here's the last part of that. Be timely, be tactful, but look at what it says in verse 6. For there is a proper time and procedure for every delight, but watch, though a man's trouble is heavy upon him. That means that there a, you should always show a, a timeliness, a kindness, a love, a peace, and you should always be tactful in the way that you approach situations with people, even when you are the offended party. Even when your heart is hurting even when you've been done wrong. And can I just say this? Hey, if you ever find yourself in the middle of a conflict and you feel like the other party is 100% wrong, the first thing you need to do is pray and confess your sin to God. Because until Jesus comes again, there will never be a fallen human being that is 100% right in an argument. If you find him, let me know. Even when I feel like I'm right, my response usually is, Sprinkled with unkindness. Just because you've been done wrong, just because you feel like you've been hurt, just because you feel justified that you're on the right side of the argument doesn't give you the, the, the right to act in an untimely and an untactful way. The Spirit of God desires for His people to show the world what it means to live and breathe like Jesus Christ who said, bless those that curse you. Pray for your enemy. Turn the cheek when somebody would slap you. Let me pause for a moment and say this. How do we keep this point in this sermon, in this text, from simply being a be better, do better, moralistic message? I think how we do that is by understanding what the fallen condition is in this text. The reason why this passage is written is because human beings are fallen creatures and we don't show tact and we don't show good timing and we tend to lash out in unkindness and meanness when we feel offended. I say, Steve, how how am I going to stop that? I would say by bringing your life to the Lord Jesus Christ and submitting before Him and saying, Lord Jesus, only You can help me to live this way. Only You can take a rough, run-off-at-the-mouth kind of person and give me good timing and grace And to know when to bite my tongue and hold on and wait until I'm in a better place. And to know how to say something, though it may be true, though it may be corrective, that it would be kind and tactful. Come to the Lord Jesus. Don't simply try and do these things on your own. Look to Him. Read from Him. Follow Him. And do what He said to do. And you'll find that Christ will help you along the way. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can spend a lifetime trying to learn how to have wisdom when it comes to timing and tact, and you'll fail all the way along. And you'll feel like the weight is unbearable, especially when you've been done wrong. Because you'll feel justified in your heart of your anger. But when you come to the Lord Jesus and you realize that He alone died for your sin and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly, you'll receive the grace and the mercy that is in Jesus Christ and He will give you the ability and the power to say, because Christ died for the ungodly, because Christ paid for all of my sin, I too will give mercy and grace and kindness through Jesus to the other people that I'm around. Well, if I didn't make you all mad on that point, let me see if I can do it again. Look at verse number 10 down through verse number 13. Now, notice the end of 9, right? He says, this person exercises this authority over another man to his hurt you see there's nothing wrong with authority there's always authority structures whether that's in our government whether that's in our state level there's always authority structures in the Bible the Bible teaches uh, that there is an authority structure in church and you should follow those leaders but that authority should never be abused to another person's hurt that's what he's talking about here and now look with me read with me verse 10 down through verse number 13 so then I have seen the wicked buried those who used to go in and out from the holy place. Let me pause and give you an explanation of that. What he's saying is, I saw a whole bunch of religious hypocrites who said they went to church and they even showed up and acted religious, but they were mean as the devil on the inside. That is what he's really saying. I have seen the wicked buried, those who used to go in and out from the holy place, and they are soon forgotten in the city where they did thus. This too is futility, because the sentence against an evil... Uh, deed is not executed quickly, therefore, the hearts of the sons of men among them are given full given are fully given over to evil or full of rage you say, where do do we see that verse 11 playing out in our society? Just watch the news sometimes when you see a report where somebody is murdered, somebody is killed, somebody is beat up in an unjust and an unfair manner, and somehow that makes its way into the court system, and however happens, somebody is released and it is wrong, and they are wrongly released, and an unjust crime was done, and what normally follows that is rage and anger in society. Is that not the way it is look at verse 12 although a sinner does evil a hundred times and many and may lengthen his life somewhat right still i know watch i know that it will be well for those who fear god and the mind says who fear him openly or who fear him in a definitive manner but it will not be well for the evil man and he will not lengthen his days like that of a shadow because he does not fear God. Here's a second point I want to mention to you today. The first is that wise people are timely and tactful even when it's tough. The second point I want to make to you is that wise people fear God more than they fear other human beings. All right? You look around us, and we see those who are manipulative and those who seek to uh to, to rule over and dominate and be tyrannical in their leadership. We see that in world governments. We see that sometimes sadly in family situations where there's a matriarchal or a patriarchal figure in the family that has an iron fist and rules in that way and tries to force submission and has all of this authority to a person's herd. But what the Bible teaches here that it is more important for us to fear God and to fear Him openly in the way that we live. Now, what does it mean here to fear God? Here's what I think the best way for us to understand... Uh, Martin Luther, who was a uh, preacher, kind of brought about the uh, uh, somewhat of the Reformation about 500 years ago. When he read this passage and other passages on the fear of the Lord in the New Testament, he made a distinction. He, He said there is servantile fear and there is familial fear. And what I believe this passage is teaching is a family or a familial fear rather than that of a servantile. You see, the fear that comes of being a slave or a servant is that there is going to be direct punishment, there is going to be abuse, and I obey and I keep these commandments over my master because I'm afraid that my life would be taken from me. That is not the kind of fear that is in this passage. The kind of fear that is in this passage is a family kind of love where we look to God who is our Father and we say, you are so marvelous and so glorious and so wonderful and so good and you have made all of creation and you sent your Son to die for us and you've given us eternal life and you've given us freedom in Christ and you've blessed us with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places and you are so marvelous, I don't want to be anywhere else but in your presence. That's the fear of God. Now, let me just give a quick application here. Do you fear God in that way? Do you find God so holy and so wonderful and so good that you don't want to go anywhere else but into His presence? I just want you to think about that and pray about that this week. Your relationship with God is it the kind of relationship where you are every day learning and growing about how marvelous and how wonderful He is that you bow before Him and His awesomeness and His mightiness and you say, You are the King of glory. I want to live my life in Your presence knowing that You love me and that You care for me and I want to walk humbly with my God because of who You are. Or... Do you have that kind of relationship with other human beings? Or with yourself? I find sometimes when I talk about the fear of man as opposed to the fear of God, we tend to put it out there with somebody else, but I find that the struggle mostly is having a fear or an awe or a reverence for yourself more than a reverence for God. They say, how would I see that play out in my life? Well, let me ask you this. Right now, just be honest, this is kind of family, and I'll be finished here in just a few minutes, but would you just be honest with yourself? Do you have a hunger and a strong desire inwardly? I mean, almost like a burning in your bones, an ache to know God more? Can you when, you, when you wake up every day, is there a strong desire that says, I want to read God's Word not because I have to fulfill a quota of chapters, not because I feel like it's my duty, not because it's somebody's going to ask me about it, I'm going to feel guilty, but I want to read God's Word because it's transformative and I learn more about who God is and how marvelous He is and how wonderful He is and what He has done for me in my life. and I want to know more. I can't wait to crack the book open to learn about Jesus. Jesus, do you have that on the inside? Do you wake up every day with some bit of passion on the inside that says all of the Jews in the Old Testament they had to go and once a year a high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and atone for the sins of the people. They couldn't even be in the presence of God but when Jesus died on the cross the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom and I can boldly boldly come to the God of all eternity and pray to Him and talk to Him. God cares and I would wake up tomorrow and I want to pray I want to learn more about God do you have that hunger passion and thirst to know him if that's waning on the inside you lack the fear of God you lack the awe and the reverence of who he is vice versa. How passionate are you about your hobbies? How passionate are you about what it keeps you away from here on Wednesday night? I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. You know the people here. Right? I'm not going to call any names, but you know the kind of people that sometimes you look at them and think, that's, man, that's kind of what I want in my heart. There's a man in this church who recently had heart surgery and he is begging his wife to come to church because he can't stand that he's been out of church for three weeks. He made it to Sunday school today before he lacked the energy to make it. They took him home. I had to tell the man through a text this morning rest. I can't have you having a heart attack in church. Let me ask you something. Are you like that? Not asking you so much to compare yourself to other people. I'm just saying sometimes it's helpful to notice that there are people who have a passion for Jesus that are beyond what we have. I see that. Sometimes I, I see members of our congregation and you guys convict my heart. I say, how can that person serve so selflessly? How can that person give their whole life and dedicate their life to the Lord Jesus And in, in that way? God, help me to be like that. Help me to have a passion. Help me to fear you. You know why those people are like that? Because they've been in the presence of God and they have found Him so wonderful that they don't want to be anywhere else and nothing holds a candle to Him. Maybe the Lord would help us to fear less other people, to reverence less ourselves, and have more of the fear and the reverence and the awe for God. Amen? Let me give you one last point. We'll be finished. Verse 14 to 17, kind of dealing with this idea of our being cynical. There is futility which is done on the earth. That is, there are righteous men, watch now, to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. On the other hand, there are evil men to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I say that this too is futility. Now, now how do we say that in our vernacular of the day? You know, don't most of us say sometimes it seems like uh, it seems like? Uh, or oh, oh, what? What Rod Stewart say? Only the good die young. Yeah, no Rod Stewart lovers in here. Okay, I don't know who you listen to. Then come on, right? Don't we say stuff like that all the time? Now well, you know, the good suffer and the bad succeed. The rich get richer and the poor get poor. It's cynical. Look at verse 15. Watch now. Verse 15 and verse 17 I think are helpful. So I also commend pleasure, for there is nothing good for a man under the sun except, watch, to eat and to drink and to be merry. Now watch. And this will stand by him in his toils throughout the days of his life. Watch which God has given him under the sun. When I gave my heart to know wisdom and to see the task which has been done on the earth, even though one should never sleep day or night, and I saw every work of God... I concluded that man cannot discover the work which has been done under the sun. Even though man should seek laboriously, he will not discover. And though the wise man should say, I know, he cannot discover. Let me just simply put it this way. Wise people are timely and tactful when it's tough. Wise people, as we read here, fear God. The wisest people... Are those who rest in the sovereignty of God. Let me back that up. I want to say this. The wisest people are those who rest in the holy sovereignty of God. I say, Steve, why do you, why do you always, why, I always put that in front of sovereignty. Please always remember this. The holiness of God is the character that dominates and runs all other characteristics of God. So it's not just that God is sovereign. Because if he was sovereign without being holy, he could be an off-the-rails tyrannical ruler if he wanted to be. But the reason why you can trust in the sovereignty and the power and the glory of God is because he's holy, he is good, he is righteous, he is above all. Relax. (laughs) The wisest people... Instead of being cynical when they look around, they say, man, good things are happening to bad people and bad things are happening to good people and the world seems to be upside down. We do our part. We try our best to be godly people. But we look to Christ and we realize that He is in ultimate control of all things and He is good. Amen? Now, are you trusting Him? I mean, are are you, first of all, let me ask this. Are you trusting Him with what's going on halfway around the world? Are you trusting Him with what's going on in your nation? Are you trusting Him with what's going on in North Carolina? Let me bring it down to this. Are you trusting God fully for what's going on with your family and ultimately in your own individual heart? Well, I'm not where I want to be in life, trust God. Well, things aren't working out the way that I wanted them to. Trust the Lord. Well, I never saw that coming. Trust God. Well, it's it's not just as easy as that. I know it's not as easy as that. That's the reason it's in here, is that daily we come before Him with broken hearts and saying, I can't understand everything that is happening in the world, much less my own life, but I know that You are holy and good and wise and sovereign, and therefore this day I yield my heart to You. Whatever comes, help me to trust You. Help me to rest in You. The day you figure out that the weight of the world is not on your shoulders but His will be one of the best days of your life. Trust Him. I believe this text teaches us wisdom in these three areas. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for a moment? I think we're going to, in a moment, we'll stand and sing a song together. And uh, let me just put it this way. Um. If you feel like you'd like to come down and maybe kneel down here and pray a little bit, I want to open that up to you. Maybe some of you just feel like right where you are, you need to pray and and, uh, make some things right with the Lord. I want to go back to that first point. Hey, nobody looking around. If you're here today and you've got something in your heart, you've done something or said something that was untimely and untactful, and it was mean and rude to somebody, I don't care whether you said it to their face or said it behind their back. You, on the authority of God, you need to make that right in your heart first before God and you need to make that right with a brother or sister today. Today. And if you're in this room today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the only hope you have is not being a better person. It's by putting your faith and confidence in the One who died for you, and He'll rescue you out of all of your sin. You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcralee.com.